as a man, my masculinity is always up for grabs. It's always up for grabs. And the thing about it is you can take it from me and add it to yours. In some ways, taking my masculinity builds yours up. Hi, I'm Vishen Lakiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas and personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. Hello, Mind Valley fans, and welcome to the Mind Valley podcast. I'm so excited about our guest today, Justin Baldoni. So, if you haven't been following Justin on Instagram, know this about the man. He's a famous actor, producer, primarily a director, an incredibly successful director. And I'm going to tell you about some of the, uh, his accomplishments there. But Justin is one of the most authentic, honest people you could possibly follow on Instagram. He has 3 million fans because of how he shows up in the world as a man, as a man who supports his family, his wife, his kids. And his raw authenticity earned him an opportunity to deliver a TED Talk, which up to now has received seven and a half million views. You can check that out later, Justin Baldoni. And his new book is out, Man Enough, Undefining My Masculinity. Now, we're going to be talking about masculinity. We're going to be talking about what it means and the patterns in which men are asked to show up in the world. And there's a particular paragraph from the book I want to read out just to set the tone. This is a paragraph where Justin describes the male club, the men's society, this non-existent society that we kind of buy into as a social construct. And he says, of course, all the rules, expectations, and scripts are unwritten. No one is waiting at the door of the club, handing out protocol guidelines and making you sign a contract that binds you to acceptable actions and inactions. It's all learned through experience and observing the experiences of other guys in the group, through watching other men in your life, in social settings, in family settings. It's like fight club. You don't talk about it or acknowledge it. And most of the time, you don't even realize it exists. And that's what makes it so dangerous. Justin, welcome to the Mind Valley podcast. Oh, Vishen, wow. As you were talking, I found myself struggling a little bit because you know my first thought is deflect 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 i'm such uh, i'm as i'm doing my own healing work i'm learning to accept compliments and my own accomplishments so thank you but vishen i gotta just tell you i am in awe of you i think what you have created is incredible i wish i could have gone to mind valley school instead of my high school <laughs> in college and uh, thank you for using your gifts to be of service man it's such an honor to, to be with you today Thank you, Justin. It's a pleasure to hear you say that. I love how you show up in the world. And so you saying that means a lot to me. Grateful to be with you. So let's talk about this unwritten rules of the man club. Tell us about that. You know, it's, uh, it's funny. The difference between, I think, the man club and fight club is fight club is something you actually choose to enter. You know, you kind of sign this unspoken contract for the fight club, right? You choose to go in. You choose to go down to the basement. You choose to have those fights, right? The man club, masculinity, if you will, it's like one of those subscription services you never subscribe to. You just start getting those phone calls and those emails all the time. And you're like, how do I get rid of this? Except we've been doing that our whole lives. It starts with 
early, early programming for every boy. And honestly, girl, you think about it like scripts that have been passed down from generation to generation. What I talk about in my TED talk was I learned masculinity from my father who learned it from his father, who learned it from his. So it's all of the things that happen in our everyday life that dictate our actions and our thoughts. It's all the things that lead to suffering, specifically as men. The idea that as men, we have to be accepted, to be viewed, to be seen as a man. And what I realize is this club is a non-existent fictional club that is all based on performance. And that's one of the crazy things about being a man, being masculine, if you will, that it's not innate. It's put on. It's a performance. It's something that we have to do, right? It's an equation that ends up equaling zero or negative every single time. If I have to be a certain way in order to earn my innateness, then it's not innate, right? So the idea of performative masculinity is just that. It's performative. And when you think about femininity, well, femininity is not performative. It's innate. I cannot take someone's femininity away from them. I cannot take a woman's femininity away from her. Now, I could add to her femininity by saying she's masculine or she's in her masculine, but I can't take away her femininity. As a man, my masculinity is always up for grabs. It's always up for grabs. And the thing about it is you can take it from me and add it to yours. In some ways, taking my masculinity builds yours up. It's a constant performance. And when you are constantly going through life performing, when you are without even realizing it on any given day, doing all of this mental gymnastics to try to figure out without even realizing if these actions will make you look like this, or if I do this, it will appear this way, or then I'll feel that way. What you're doing is you're exhausting yourself. You're burning your life's energy. You're coming from a place of scarcity and fear instead of abundance and love versus just understanding that to be a man, the ideal way to be a man is to be a human. It's not to reject all of the things that we deem feminine in society. It's not to reject all of these quote unquote weak things. And if you think about it, let's go back to language. What do we learn when we're three, four, five, six, seven years old? What do we teach our boys? Don't cry. If you fall down, get back up, brush it off, right? Let's be, be resilient, be tough, be strong, be brave, take physical risks, exert yourself, speak, make sure people hear your voice, all of these things. But what do we tell our kids? We tell them to not be certain things as well. Don't cry. Don't be a girl. Don't be gay. Mm -hmm. Insert homophobic right. slur here. So without even realizing it, we are programming and brainwashing our young boys to not only not trust the feminine parts of themselves that society deems to be feminine, not like them because we want to be liked and seen and accepted by the other boys. And so by having feminine qualities, by displaying emotion and having feelings, which are human qualities, we're then bullied and policed and taught that we are less than. And if we're less than, and we spend our whole lives going through the world, despite being told that we should love women and respect women, having a disgust for them without even realizing it. That's where misogyny comes from. It's in our language. It's in our DNA. It's how we're taught. So this man club 
asks us, forces us at an early age to make a choice to either reject all of the feminine parts of ourselves, the human parts of ourselves, in order to be seen as man enough, in order to be given a pass or a card to a club that is fictitious and doesn't exist. I love that. When I think about that, I was just reflecting on growing up as a boy. Mm. And, and I've heard those lines before. If you're listening to this podcast, reflect with me. Maybe you remember these lines. Boys don't cry. You throw like a girl. You run like a girl. You punch like a girl. Right? Like a girl seems to be an admonishment that you lack power. I've been told real men don't cry. Once uh, I was actually in tears and it affected me. I couldn't cry in front of a woman for the longest time because of that, because I heard that when I was young and it made me feel that truly showing my emotions were a sign of weakness. So if you're listening to this podcast, perhaps you've heard some of these words as well. Justin, how do we process that? What is the message that you would like to share with the men who are listening right now? Well, let's do a little experiment since this is mind valley, right? I love to, when I speak at universities and when I talk to kids, I love to ask this question. Give me five, three to five masculine qualities. Three to five masculine qualities. Off the top of your head. Right, And we can right. even use Google if you want. Chugging beer. Chugging beer. Using a monkey wrench. <laughs> driving stick shift. Those are more um, actions. Give me qualities, innate qualities. Okay, actions, innate qualities. Bravery. Mm -hmm. Okay. Willingness to take risk, protection, strength, yeah, confidence. Great. And when you Google it, it'll pop up with things like strength and power and, like you said, bravery, dominance, impermeability, like mm -hmm. doesn't show weakness, et cetera. Now, if I were Elon Musk, or an alien race, and I wanted to build an army of robots. And I wanted those army of robots to accomplish a certain task, right? In fact, okay, I guess we saw that Elon Musk is building these humanoid type right. robots, right? You would imbue these robots with all of the qualities that you just mentioned, right? You don't want it to be weak. You don't want it to, I would even add, uh, doesn't question authority. <laughs> You don't want it to ask itself how it's feeling. You don't want it to be sensitive or weak, right? You don't want it to have all of these things. You want it to have a sense of direction, a clear purpose, to be strong, to be brave, to take physical risks, all of the things. Now, let's list off three to five feminine qualities. What do you got? Compassion, mm -hmm. ability to listen, nurturing, movement, passion. Sensitivity, compassion intuition, right? These are all things that are attributed to the feminine. So if we then wanted to imbue life into the robot and make it alive, right. we would give it all of the feminine qualities. And when you look at that, you say, oh my God, we are literally raising boys, this generation of boys to become robots, to become the irony is to become these sheep that don't think for themselves. And yet the very thing we need 
to become human beings is already in us. We've just deemed them weak. We've deemed the qualities feminine. And we've taught our young boys to hate those parts of themselves. And then you think about this. You think about us as parents for a second, right? Sometimes I think about God. I was raised in the Baha'i faith. And sometimes I think about God and just the pain that God is in. Looking down at his, her, their children, right? I believe that God is exalted beyond a name. Mm -hmm. And just saying, I gave you all of it. I gave it to you all. It's all innate in each of you. Why are you choosing to reject the things that make you human, that make you compassionate and empathetic and sensitive? These are the things. And they are the cures for all of the ills plaguing humanity today. So back to your question, how do we, how do we break free of it? The first step, I think, has to be a radical sense of awareness, a sense of self and understanding that we are, in many ways, as bell hooks writes in a will to change, engaging in these psychic acts of self-mutilation. She calls what we do to young boys soul murder. And if you are somebody who feels you have a soul, what's worse than murdering it? By basically cutting ourselves off from our hearts, from our emotions, from our feelings. So the first step, I think, as men, to my message to men out there, is to pause and evaluate, right? Even look at yourself like we've been taught we need to do as men. Think critically. Be rational, whatever you want to do. And just look at it from the male-female perspective. Look at all the qualities that you've been told will make you a man. Have those really served you in your life? Sure, maybe patriarchally speaking, maybe uh, productivity-wise, right? Maybe you started a business. Maybe you're an efficient worker. Maybe you're a hustler. Great. But that's only one tiny part of our existence. And it's always the part of our existence that we will regret on our deathbed at the end of our lives. Let's go back and evaluate how has it made you a better husband, a better friend, a better partner, a better brother, a better son? How has it made you a better, honestly, leader? You cannot be a good leader without empathy and compassion and sensitivity. What you're saying is so interesting. To bring in pop culture, it's the script for men and the script for women create two really different types of robots. The script for men creates more of a Arnold Schwarzenegger, Terminator type robot. <laughs> oh, yeah. And the script for women creates the robot that we do want in our lives. Remember Data from Star Trek? Mm -hmm. He was compassionate. He was nurturing. He was a healer. He was also a robot. And it's so interesting because Data, if you watch Star Trek, he had all the qualities of the Terminator, but he hardly used it unless he was in battle. Most of the time, he was so sensitive and, and empathetic. He was Gene Roddenberry's idea of who we could be when we unify both paths. And I never thought about it that way. So that was a really interesting exercise. Hmm. Do you feel the world is changing? Do you feel that the script on what it takes to show up as a man is evolving? I do. I do. I think, I think we have a very long way to go. You know, I think this conversation is always tricky, especially in the West, in America, but I'm seeing it happen around the world, honestly, is the conversation becomes enmeshed with identity politics. Yeah. And it doesn't need to. 
right? We're currently at war. You have sides and, and whataboutism and all the various things that are preventing us from actually going deeper and hearing and listening to each other. And while on one hand, I absolutely am seeing how important this conversation is, how many people, how many men especially are looking at this conversation and saying, you know what? There is something to this. I am deeply unhappy. I'm performing on a daily basis or just like I'm freaking exhausted. I'm exhausted, right? As I said in my TED talk, from trying to be man enough for everybody all the time. Who am I? What, what do I believe in? What do I feel? You know, and conversations with thousands of men, I've learned that we are never asked how we feel about something, at least not by other men. By women, we're asked how we feel about things, but we don't know how to answer. It's almost like we're robots, right? And we get asked a question and our, and our brain starts smoking. Eh, 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 I, I don't, you don't have the answer because, because we're not wired to make the journey from our head to our heart. We don't even know how to get there. That's why, as I joke about in the book, they always say like the longest journey a man will ever, ever travel is the short distance between his head and his heart. And in the Baha'i faith, Abdu'l-Baha says, the shortest distance between your head and your heart is your neck. It's right there. It's your neck. Just jump. And we have to reconnect with ourselves to go back and say, how do we feel? And a lot of my deep therapy work that I'm doing right now, you know, one might think like, oh, I just wrote this book. I've been doing this work for years and years. I'm, I gave a TED talk. I'm talking about all of this stuff. Well, guess what I'm doing in therapy, Vishen? My therapy yeah. sessions look like this. Oh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm really, I'm feeling stressed about this or this thing happened. And my therapist we're working on somatic feeling. What does it feel like? My therapist goes, well, how does it feel, Justin? What does that feel like in your body? The general response is, I have no freaking idea. Because I came to therapy using my brain to try to rationalize how I'm feeling. And oftentimes when I started therapy, I would use my brain to say, well, it feels, I think it feels, or well, and, and I would start to skirt around the subject. And my therapist says, no, 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 Justin, get out of your brain and into your head or into your heart? What does it feel like? What does anxiety feel like? What does that feel like in your stomach when you said you have that feeling? Okay, go into your solar plexus. What does it feel like in your body? I've never been asked that question. Nobody ever, nobody ever asked me what I feel about working really hard, right? What does it feel like to grind down to the point where you're so exhausted you can't even go to sleep at night? What does it feel like? And I don't know the answer. So my work right now is just to rewire my brain, even after writing the book, even after doing these types of things and talking and going, oh my God, I don't know how I feel and that's okay. Let me then figure it out. And as men, we can use the same qualities that make us great explorers in the world to explore our hearts. We love to explore and conquer territories all over the world, but we can't do it inside ourselves. It's got to start there. I love that. I think thanks to people like you, thanks to shifts we are seeing as a society, there is a new script appearing. I found this meme on the internet recently. I want to read it out to you. Then it went viral, but it was um, by Inlil Starling. It was a tweet. And she said, I rewatched Lord of the Rings the other day. And you know what I really appreciate? The men are so tender. They cry and kiss each other's foreheads and hug and call each other my friend and my dear. 
They are respectful to women and faithful to their partners. They have banter without being creepy and sleazy. And literally, none of them, none of that stops them from being considered manly. More Lord of the Rings men, please. <laughs> and guess what? They have all the skills one would need to fight and to go into battle, right? They have all of the masculine qualities and they have the feminine qualities. And, and I love the Lord of the Rings analogy because if you think about that, and it's similar to what you um, brought up earlier, when you have both, you don't need the masculine qualities on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. It's not this dominant power struggle where you're trying to prove your worth. You don't need to lead with your strong fist. So here, this brings up an interesting question, right? If you look at why corporate America, why the way the modern world functions, it's designed to provide a better environment for men than women. If you look at corporate America, I can't remember what book spoke about this, but the the hierarchies, the rules and rigidity of corporate America came from the military. It was an inherited structure from the military. The military was 98% men in like World War II. And so that came into corporate America. But which means that women may have had a disadvantage just going in. And this is why if you look at the comparison of women investors or women CEOs, it tends to be significantly less than male. But I wonder if there's a shift happening because as the world gets more connected, as studies are showing how compassion, happiness, how care, how empathy in the workplace are all superpowers, maybe we will start seeing that the working structures, the political structures benefit better when you have, an, when you have a, a better representation of men and women. And one of the things that best comes to mind was the study done in the first eight months of COVID. What they found is that countries led by women, if you were in a country where the leader was a woman, you were six times less likely to die of COVID. How, <laughs> what do you make of that? What do you think is going on there? What do I make of it? Yeah. No. Well, it's funny in the Baha'i faith that Abdul Baha writes that we're moving out of an age thought of as masculine and into an age more permeated with feminine ideals. And what I make of it is this I believe men and women are all born with the same qualities. There's a study I cite in my book that talks about sensitivity. And they brought men and women together and they had them react to an image. And this image was a rather shocking image that was, that was there to create a reaction. And what they found was the first time they were shown, men and women were shown the image, the men had an emotional response that was slightly faster than women, <laughs> meaning they were very sensitive. But then the second time they were shown the image, the men had a delayed reaction time, had a slower response to women. They didn't react as much. And what they found was that basically men, because of socialization, had trained themselves to delay their emotional response. But innately, the first response from men is actually potentially even faster. Now, it's, it's not one to say men are more sensitive to women, but the idea is that we're actually just as sensitive, just as empathetic, just as compassionate. My young boy is going to be... There's a script in our head that's slowing us down. That's that's preventing us from fully expressing it. Exactly. Because as Bell Hooks writes about, when we engage in that act of psychic self-mutilation, what we're doing is we are training ourselves, just like we train ourselves to do everything in life. We are training ourselves to not feel. 
every time we suppress emotions and feelings, it gets buried a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper. And just like dirt, it compacts and it compacts and it compacts and it makes it that much harder to get in. So over time, we learn how to desensitize ourselves. Why do we do that? Fear. Mm -hmm. It's all fear. And that's what ends up making us sick and destroys, destroys our bodies. But going back to you know, this idea of sensitivity and empathy and compassion, my son is almost four. And he hasn't learned to stop his feelings yet. And while he's here, it's my job. He's under my roof while, while he hasn't been brainwashed, if you will, by the factory, the robotic factory of school that's going to teach him to hold those things back. It's my job to remind him that those things make him brave. Oh, how are you feeling, sweetheart? You, do you feel like you need to cry? Because can, you can see it happening, that right. he can't hold it back. And he says yes, or he says no. And if he says yes, I say, let it out, my love. Let it out. What does it feel like? And it's right there, just like it is for my daughter. It's right there. Why can't I do the same thing? Why does my therapist have to spend an hour just to get me by the end of my therapy session to realize that I need to cry because I've spent my entire life numbing myself, grinding it down, bludgeoning it, burying it so deep that like you need tools and technology to even see what the feelings are because it's so deep down. So when you think about corporate America, when you think about politicians, when you think about equality, well, it goes back to life. What do we want? Who do we want our children to be? What do we want our companies to reflect? Do we want to protect our constituents, do we want to protect the people that live in the countries that we are managing? Well, if we do, then we need to be humane human leaders. We need to be leading with empathy and sensitivity and compassion and honesty and intuition. We need to do what's right despite having the effects of maybe it be not being popular. And those things come from an innate sense of self, self-worth. And, and understanding that we are all one, that we're all, as Baha'u'llah says, the fruits of one tree and the leaves of one branch. So I do believe that we are going to see so many more female leaders in both, you know, the Fortune 500 and companies, also in politics, God willing, and around the world, because we're going to demand that from our leaders, because we're tired of it, because we look at our world and we see that we're sick. We're destroying it. We're killing it. We're killing each other. So all that to say, uh, I'm excited. I'm nervous because as these types of things happen, there's a lot of conflict that comes up because change is uncomfortable. And there's many people that want to be stuck in the past and the old ways of doing things. When in reality, when we start to put and elect and think of women as being powerful because of their sensitivity, because of their compassion and empathy, then that will be the thing where we as people will demand that, no, we want them to be our leaders. We want them to be our CEOs and our politicians. And maybe even starting to elect men that exhibit those same qualities, allowing them to rise to the top and stop rewarding those that lead with brute force. I love that. There's this quote that you share in your TED Talk. And guys, if you're listening to this podcast, and following this podcast, if you want to go deeper on this topic, I strongly encourage you to search for Justin Baldoni's TED Talk. It's on TED.com, seven and a half million views. But there's the portion of this TED Talk where you share this quote from Abdul Baha. Abdul Baha, yes. Abdul Baha. Servant, yes. 
The world of humanity is possessed of two wings, the male and the female. So long as these two wings are not equivalent in strength, the bird will not fly. I love that. I think we do need to move towards a world where there is equal representation in businesses and politics. When I look at how countries that have a, an unequal distribution, primarily men, with politicians that are primarily men, there seems to be a part of the compassion, the care that's missing from government. And I hope we can make this change sooner rather than later. I'd love to see more women running for politics. Oh my God, yeah. And we have to be really mindful of also how we then treat those women. Right, right. Let's talk about growing up as a boy, right? Because you're a parent, I'm a parent. How old are your kids? I have a, a daughter called Eve. Uh, Eve is going to be eight and my son is going to be 14. Oh, His wow. You're a, little, you're a little ahead of me. Yeah, but but you know what? As, I, as I'm talking to you, I realized something. I realized that when I give Eve a hug, it's like this deep hug and she hugs me back. When I give Hayden a hug, it's a very awkward hug. And he too, it's like there's something, it's not a deep hug. It's like a bro hug. And I realized- is it, like a, is it like a hand in front and then a- is it like yeah, that? Yeah, it's something like that. It's something like that. And I realized I got to stop that. There's some conditioning that I guess we have both gone through that we have to fix. Because why can't, why do I not hug my son the same way I hug my daughter? It's just a thought at the back of my head. You know, I was trying to unpack how is it that I was so close to my father, maybe between birth and nine, eight or nine or 10. I wanted to be with him. I wanted to hold him. I wanted to cuddle with him when I fell asleep. And then something happened. A moment happened in school because of media, because of magazines, because of something that I was consuming for both of us, where I suddenly became not his little boy, but his competition, his adversary, if you will. And we don't let adversaries in. We don't let our competition in. We're both men in the world now. And the second we both are men in the world, we're acknowledging that we live in this patriarchal structure that's built on domination, right? That's built on getting to the top. And therefore, we can't subconsciously let our guards down with each other to just be son and father, father and son. So there's this invisible force that I felt over the course of my life that to me feels this is the image and maybe you'll relate to this vision and maybe other men that are listening will relate to this. And if you are a woman on this call and you have a man in your life, maybe you'll see this happen in real time. But back in the day when there were castles in the medieval times, we had these gates that opened and closed, right? Open the gates, if you will. The castle was open. The kingdom was open. It was free. You would come in, if you will. But these gates also closed and they closed when an enemy was attacking. Close the gates! right? What I feel so often around my father and other men is this part inside of me that's screaming, close the gates. And the gates close. And suddenly I can't be my full self with my, my dad, the man who raised me, who loved me, who fed me, who wiped my ass, who taught me things, who I cuddled with, who I who I cried with like your son did. I can't be myself because there's a part of me that's been trained to close the gates, to see my dad in the way that 
I have to see every other man that exists in this world like a threat. How sad is that? That at a prepubescent age, we start to turn our fathers, our sons into others, into other men who can hurt us. When in reality, we need to be opening the gates even more. We need to be letting our children in, especially our boys. And how do we do that, Misha? Here's going to be my little piece of advice. Vulnerability. What I learned was that my father stopped showing me anything that could be perceived as weak. I no longer, he wanted to maintain the idea of the superhero, the teacher, right. the father. When in reality, what I needed most growing up, once I reached that age, was for him to bring himself down to my level and show me his weaknesses, his flaws, his mm. humanity. It is in the, that effort to deconstruct all of that, to let it go, to open up, to open the gates, to let it out, to cry, to be emotional, to be vulnerable in front of our children, that we allow them in. And when we allow them in, we're then telling them that they are enough and that I'm enough. And it is my imperfections that make me perfect. So it's the vulnerability that opens the, the gates. That's the only way we can get rid of that invisible force of masculinity that stops us from being close to our fathers, our brothers, our friends. And if you think about the way you hug your son, and this is the final thing that I want to say. And if you watch the way women hug and the way men hug, they're very different. Women embrace. Men generally take their hand, they put it between themselves and their hearts and the other person, and then they hug. There's a physical barrier between my heart and the other man's. It's not conscious. We have our armor on all the time. We got to take our armor off. Yes, I like that. Going back to that castle analogy, we have this armor on. So I want to ask you this. So I, uh, I put up a question. I put up a post on social media on Instagram and I said, what are your biggest questions for Justin? So here's a question which I'd love for you to answer. This is from Sa'ai Mir. And he says, what made you write the book Man Enough? What made you release that book right now? Well, I'll be honest. I try to get out of it. There's a couple of things that I, I think are important to say. One is I tried to back out of my TED Talk multiple times. I was terrified. It was one of the scariest things I've ever done. And the book was even scarier than the TED Talk. So I reluctantly released both. I'll start there. But I was brave enough to go through with it. I'll honor myself and say I was brave enough to do it because I was so scared. First of all, man enough, while it's late, is also early. Mm -hmm. This book is long overdue. And there have been many books that have been written in similar ways before it. But honestly, it's thanks to women doing this work for decades and writing stories about vulnerability and sharing their deep truths that I even had the, the ability to even release a book called Man Enough. Because what I wanted to do was, all Man Enough is, is really, it's a, it's a bunch of questions. It's asking ourselves why. It's going in and then it's me using personal anecdotes and experiences like so many female authors who I have read do and who do and who share these parts of themselves because that's how teaching works. That's how femininity works. That's how connection and femininity works. You share an open part of yourself to help another woman going through something. But us men don't do that. Us men write these types of books from this place of, let me teach you the rules that I've learned. 
here's the here's the 10 rules for how to be a better man, how to live life. Here's what you need to know how to be a more productive person in society. Here's what you need to know how to be a better husband, father, friend. It's all written from this, I'm the teacher standpoint. But what I believe needs to start happening and why I wrote the book now is because I'm a student. And I mm -hmm. think the best teachers are students. I don't know anything. But what I do know, I will share with you while also reserving the right to change my opinion and learn. So that's what Man Enough is. It's a journey in real time from this place of, I don't know, I want to be better. Why is this happening? Why am I acting this way? From needing to be brave enough or smart enough or having a good enough body to sexy enough with my wife to whatever it is. These are questions and observations that I've learned and that I'm learning in real time. And at the end of the day, I felt like I needed to write the book because I had to, because I didn't have a book like this growing up. And encourage you to go deep the next time you have a therapy session. Right, back right. To that oh, no, because this conversation and this book is, is going to, in, in some ways, change the way I'm raising my boy. So, oh, so, that's I, so sweet. That. I hope it does. It's a great book. I want every man watching this to check that book out, especially if you happen to be the father of, of a young boy. And I, so, am, and I am real quick. And I just so you know, right now, as we speak, and I'm going to go finish, I'm adapting the book to middle grade boys. So there'll be a book for mm -hmm. nine to 12 year olds coming out oh, um, amazing. next October. And it's called Boys Will Be Human. I um, love this idea. Of, and boys will be uh, crossed out. So it'll be boys will be human. And it's basically taking the themes from Man Enough and oh. more stories and anecdotes from my youth from being nine, 10, 11, 12, and putting them in a book where it's digestible for young boys to understand at that age, because that's where we gotta get them. That's where they gotta know that they're enough. That's where we have to remind them of their worth and their value. Amazing, Justin, I love that. Now I wanna bring up uh, Sidi, Sidi Shah. So Sidi posted a question in our Q&A, and this question Sidi? is the one that got the most votes. So Sidi, I'm making you a panelist. I'm gonna invite you up on stage with us to personally oh. ask a question to Justin. Sidi, please turn on your camera and your mic. Hi, I'm so nervous right now. Oh, Sidi, hi. Hi, I am right now currently talking to two of the two men who have influenced me and inspired me to start with my own brand at the age of 22. So I am starting this journaling brand, which is gonna come out in November about guided journals because I saw the men in my life struggling to be vulnerable and mm. talk about their emotions. And like back in 2019, I went through a very difficult time because the person I was with couldn't be vulnerable with me because of his own internalized patriarchy. Yeah. And my grandmother passed away and my father also could not confide in me. And it just broke my heart to see the two men I'm so close with not being able to express and then I saw your TED talk and it made so much sense I can't even like it literally made me cry because I could feel it so deeply but it's like now when I think about it I started with this brand and every time I talk about it with the guys in my life, the only response I get is like, who's going to do it? It's a girly. I'm not going to talk about my feelings. That leads to the question. And your question is related to a question we got on Instagram. So let me read out the question on Instagram, okay? Because it's related. The question is by an Instagram account called by reframe. Since yeah, that's my account. That's your account. <laughs> it's a small world city. So I'm going to read out. I'm going to read out your Instagram question, okay? 
journaling is considered a girly concept. How can we normalize this for men? And what you also said is, I've always noticed that men in my life have a hard time introspecting since it is perceived as girly. How can men be encouraged to introspect and pay attention to their feelings more? Justin? You know, it's very complex, right? It's kind of like asking, how can we as a society reward mothers, <laughs> right? It's a reframing. You know, earlier Vishen, we talked about CEOs. And as we know, one of the things that, uh, and I'll get, to your, I'll get to the question, but one of the things we know about companies is that on the list of hireable people, women who are, who are mothers are at the bottom. But yet wow. mothers, honestly, would be the ideal employees because they have all of the tools you would ever need to solve any problem at your company with empathy and compassion because they do it every single day as mothers. But yet we don't want mothers working right. in our companies, right? So it's a reframing. We have to reframe the problem and the solution. What comes to mind when I hear your question is we have rewarded productivity. We've associated value with productivity. We reward um, in shape, toned physiques. And then we, we reward the work that goes into making them, right? Therefore, when you look at social media, when you look at magazines, when you watch movies, you see the person, these men, these women who are at the top have look a certain way. They have these very fit bodies, if you will, the superheroes, the Marvel Avengers. And therefore, we're rewarding the ways that they have killed themselves on a daily basis, undergone eating disorders, if you will, all of the things to look the way that they do. So we've normalized the work that goes in to having a body like that. What needs to happen in order for men to feel like it's manly to journal, to share their feelings, if you will, we have to reframe the reward system. And we have to start rewarding EQ, emotional right. intelligence. And that only happens between men and men and between women and men. So when women meet men, and I'm not here to tell a woman how to interact with a man, but I can tell you as a man, when a woman praises and validates my emotional intelligence, it then makes me want to go deeper. When a man appreciates my ability to be vulnerable instead of seizes it at a threat, it makes me want to go deeper. And because we live in a day and age where going and working out every day for two, three hours a day is valued because it shows somebody is committed and they got that six pack. That six pack is a sign of the work. What's the version of that for emotional intelligence? Well, one of those answers is self-awareness. And the Baha'i faith Baha'u'llah says man must know his own self and what brings him to loftiness or abasement. That only comes from self-reflection. That only comes from therapy. That only comes from journaling your thoughts and ideas in the morning or at night, right? As an example, I'm not a huge journaler, but when I have, it's been incredibly effective because what comes out on the page are things I didn't know I, I felt. For me, therapy is that. I'm a multiple uh, week therapy person. My meditations are going in. Why do I feel that way? Why did I react that way? That's journaling. So we have to reward that type of work, which produces a more full, emotional, intelligent person and have society then reward that. 
I love that. That's an amazing response, Justin. Sidi, thank you so much. I have to mute you because thank of the you so much. Traffic. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I figured. Thank you guys. Thank you so, so nice much. to meet you. Thank you for being Good luck such with your an business. amazing inspiration. Thank Sidi, you. You'll find, Sidi, you'll find this recording available. Feel free to cut it out and share it on your Instagram, okay? Yes. Thank you. Okay. So, Justin, thank you so much for joining us. All of you who are here today, thank you for being a Mind Valley member. Thank you for listening to our podcast. And go check out Man Enough by Justin Baldoni. And also check out Justin's TED Talk and follow Justin on Instagram. Justin, it's been a delight. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Vishen. Thank you so much. Vishen Lakiani, and this is the Mind Valley Podcast. If you like the Mind Valley Podcast, take the next step. Become a Mind Valley member. Imagine being coached daily by the greatest teachers on the planet. How quickly would you transform your health, your mindset, your body? your relationships? How quickly would you double the size of your company? How quickly would you see your career grow? How quickly would you eliminate any limiting belief that's holding you back and manifest a life that you once thought beyond your dreams? When you become a member, you don't just get access to the greatest education in the world. You become part of a community of 150,000 of the most incredible people dedicated to personal growth. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now to get started.